sports fans, don't be sad that the NFL season is rapidly coming to a close because we still have the NBA, MLB, WNBA, and the XFL coming this spring. And Epson just hooked me up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. If you're out there looking for a new 75-inch or 85-inch TV, don't do that. You have no idea what you're missing. Imagine having an epic 120-inch mega screen in your home. It's like having four 60-inch TVs mounted on your wall. Introducing the new Epson Epic Vision Ultra LS800 projector. This new type of television experience uses Epson's amazing three-chip, three-LCD laser projection technology to produce an immersive, super bright 4K Pro UHD picture. And with a 120-inch picture, this is truly epic. You see all the action. Trust me, unless you're there live, this is the next best thing. Go big, go epic. Go to epson.com forward slash wake up to learn more about the Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector. Again, that's epson.com forward slash wake up. And like Epson says, bring the sports book experience home. Do you believe in miracles? Fizzle in the house. Fizzle, what what's up, Fizzle? good, man? Fizzle, glad to have you here. Let's go. This the South Harmon Podcast. Glad you here today. Hit that Patreon link if you here to stay. Dynasty best ball, that's my favorite way. 40 chess trade show. Let's make a trade today or check the AMA. You know Adam at the ATM. Mike always in the building. He gonna stay with him. They gon' start every show off with their own trade Fantasy's a big ocean, they made their own wave Make sure you tap in there Tuesdays and Saturdays Tuesday night, Saturday morning, ain't no better way Hit that notification bell when the news break Go subscribe right now, don't get the news late Destination Devi, that's the team Dynasty football, man, that's my favorite thing I remember Biggie said it was all a dream Now people watching on their phone and computer screens Welcome to the team Let's start the show Start the show Our boy Brandon um, Our boy Koopa Troopa here Sign me the fuck up That really does help your team a lot It really does Sign me the fuck up Sign me the fuck up for that deal too I like what yeah. I like You know what I mean? Like I don't go to McDonald's and order something different Because I want to expand my portfolio No I'm basic, man. My ass man. is in there. I know I'm what I like. Quarter powder with cheese guy. Every time. Let's go. Uh, Mike, you didn't see in the comments, but uh, T Rock told me to, so I did it. Um, All he right. Said, he said, "Quick ATM fart and Mike's drink while he's gone," and so I had to do it. That's it's in that bottle. As soon as you open it, it's gonna smell like shit. <laughs> uh, I ain't gonna lie. I probably pissed on the floor. My wife's gonna kill me in the morning, but fuck it. You better wipe that <laughs> shit up, then. Um, I got you after this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Keep trying to cut to I have no idea one. what the fuck is going on anymore. <laughs> he won't think that of Keep trade cut. Tits ass. Keep trade cut. Go. Keep trade cut. Tits ass. Be That is a tongue twister, my friends. 
Welcome back in everybody to another edition of the 4D Chess Dynasty Football Podcast and as you can tell by the voice I am back for this week. I did get a reprieve so I'm able to do the 4D Chess and we'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, this night thing's going to be lasting a little longer than I'd like but you the people you come first so I got to get the 4D out there to you but first and foremost Adam it is good to be back buddy. You held it down. I don't think it is possible uh, because of your and I's relationship, but I do find a, a massive amount of jealousy every time you get a dope-ass guest on. Uh, Nate talked about trying to fill my shoes. I got to fill Nate's shoes, man. Nate Liss was on the 4D podcast last week. It was absolutely incredible. You did a fantastic job, but it's good to see you again, buddy. How you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. You know, Mike, I mean, even Nate said he's trying to fill your shoes. I'm trying to fill your shoes. That's why I have to get such a phenomenal guest on is just to try to hope to keep this 4D thing going without you. We're glad to have you back. Um, everyone here, you know, you can't see us, which right now is probably the best for all of us. Um, Mike's working nights, but we're going to get through it. And we not only are going to get through it, we're going to bring you information that means something to help you progress in your leagues. Because in the off season, while your league mates may be sleeping, we're trying to fucking win trades. We're trying to win the edges. So, Mike, um, talk to the people, man. I know you had you know last week off of content, so I know your mind's very fresh on topics, things to talk about, and you've been itching to get back to 4D this week. So what do you got for the Dynasty Degenerates? Well, next week, as you know, Adam, the scouting combine will be here. Starts on Tuesday. Uh, we will start to get some numbers, and this becomes peak rookie hype season. Like We just build from here. So what I wanted to talk about, and there's a lot of people who play Dynasty, and there's opinions out there that vary on the scouting combine, Adam, but I wanted to talk about tonight what you and I look for when we watch the scouting combine. What matters, what really doesn't matter. We go position by position and let the people know what we're looking for and what we will take away from what actually happens at the scouting combine because it's not actual football adam it's a bunch of guys wearing shorts running around jumping high but there are some things i do think for me personally i take away from the combine right or wrong but they do influence how i value how i rank where i draft players in my rookie draft so let's dig behind the curtain man and figure out what's important what's the real stuff and uh what you can kind of just throw to the side i love that um now, you know, I will plug our trade show. Uh, I know, um, you know, Ray and Jay are back doing the trade show. We do our own South Harmon trade show. And I had Mike Lou on last week while Mike was out. And the one thing Mike Lou said, which I love, I, I almost forgot about, you know, he talked about the Underwear Olympics. And yes. here we go, baby, the Underwear Olympics. So, Mike, let's get into it. Uh, things that you and I are looking for. I, I'll say this. I, I think it's a very important thing. But at the same time, there's also spots where it can get a little overblown, and I think that can play to and against your favor, uh, depending on how you do it. So I, I, I think this is a good one to, to touch on because you know you're going to be listening to this Friday, and then next thing you know, Tuesday, here we go, combine starts. So let, let's do it. Well, let's start with the quarterback position, man. Uh, generally, in most cases, we don't see the quarterbacks do a whole lot at the scouting combine. Uh, we have seen quarterbacks in the past go out and throw in the passing drills. I would say generally the the consensus is most quarterbacks, top-rated ones that know they're going high, don't for the simple fact that there's not a lot to gain for it, right? You, you're not scripted. It's not your own wide receivers. You don't have rapport with them. 
you're just throwing to all the other wide receivers and tight ends and running backs at the combine. And sometimes it can make you look bad, but I do appreciate the ones. I can't think of the ones right off my mind, but there has been ones in the past who have actually chose to throw at the combine and actually lit it up where they actually look really, really good. And I'm not talking the, uh, this isn't a shot at the guy, but like the Jake Hayner types, right? The guys that right. are kind of afterthoughts that we're not really worried about, but I'm talking the elite ones. So if Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young, CJ Stroud came out and were to throw at the combine and do well, I do look at it when I watch the combine and go, you know, that's the guy who was up to the challenge, who was like, fuck it. You know, I know everything's stacked against me, but I just want to compete. I want to show everybody my cannon. I want to show everybody that I can throw a pretty touch pass. I really enjoy when the quarterbacks do come out and do it. Now, on the athletic side, generally we don't see them do anything. Uh, the only ones I can really think of that blew me away in the past, right, we never got to see Lamar Jackson actually run the 40. Which nah. why, And why would he? All, right. We, we all knew he was fast. But there are some ones that surprise the shit out of you and do change it. Now, Justin Fields didn't do it at the Combine because of the COVID year. We didn't have a Combine, but he Correct. did have his own pro day. And when Justin Fields came out and ran a 4-4, at his pro day, you're going, like, I knew the guy was mobile. Like, we knew he was athletic. I didn't know he was that fucking athletic. Like, when a quarterback goes out and runs a 4-4, you go, holy shit. And he can throw, <laughs> right? It's the whole uh, Friday Night And he night can lights. pass. Yeah, the Friday Night Lights booby miles stick with his uncle. Uh, it, it was incredible to watch Justin Fields do that at his pro day. So, if we do happen to get any of these quarterbacks who go out there and uh, decide to do a you know forty yard dash. If you run, you know four fives. Uh, say Will Levis came out and ran in the four fives. Like that would open some eyes. Like we know he's mobile, but to actually see the speed would be something else. And heaven forbid Anthony Richardson decided that hey, I'm gonna go out there and show off my speed at his size. Like that guy, if he ran under four five, people would lose their fucking minds, and me included. I would go ballistic. Like oh yeah. Oh, yeah, everything we already kind of knew, it's confirmed. So quarterback's a pretty easy one for me because generally we don't get to see a whole lot. Uh, The big thing for them is uh, how they're doing in the interviews, right? So you got an intensive interview process with all the teams, what people are saying about how the interviews went, how they did on the whiteboard, drawing up plays, uh, how the interviews went with the teams. And if there's any concerns that, you know, are starting to build, because if if you do start to hear some of these rumors at the combine about top quarterback prospects, generally it doesn't lead to good things come NFL draft time. And for us in the dynasty space, what the NFL thinks about the quarterbacks is pretty much the only thing that that I take away. You know what I mean? If the NFL says you're a round one top pick quarterback, you're important. If they say that you're a second round, third round guy, I wrote about it a few weeks ago in the newsletter. I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care about you. The NFL didn't have the uh, the wherewithal or the uh, the ambition to trade up to even pick 32 to get that fifth year option in the back end of the first round. Generally, they don't really think too highly of you. You probably get a shot, but it's not going to be what we all hope. So. Anything on the uh, the quarterbacks that you take away from it? What are you lo- watching for? What are you looking for? Um, you know, I think the quarterback position as a whole isn't one that, like, of the position groups as a whole that I'm most concerned about. Now, to your point, like, if Anthony Richardson decides to go out and run in the 40 and, and lights it up, like, 
I don't know that he needs to. Everybody knows that he's already the premier athlete at the quarterback position. But if he he's like, hey, like I believe it, I'm I'm gonna go tear up the forty, and he does it. Like that's only gonna help propel you know people thinking that way. T- to give you an idea though, um, and I'll say this: a- as an Ohio State fan, I I was actually very excited for Fields running. Um, now it wasn't at the combine, the pro day. You'll say it's juice, whatever. Um, but he didn't even have, he didn't have the chance to, right? So it's not like you can say, you know, he he tried to flee the 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 combine run. But when he runs four four, like I wasn't surprised. But to give you an idea, Mike, of in Dynasty Degenerates, what that means. So just just to think about some mobile quarterbacks for a second, like Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen actually ran a four seven five. I'm not going to say Josh Allen is, you know, this light the world on fire fast quarterback, but yeah. people think of him as very mobile. That's why he's, you know, top five quarterback dynasty ranking. 4-4, four, four, Justin Fields is like, that's light years different than four seven five to give you an understanding of the difference there. Uh, Justin Herbert, you know, people that think he's mobile. Um, four six eight, right? Patrick Mahomes, 4-8. Point is, like, I'm, I'm not saying you can't find people that are as fast as Justin Fields, but you can't find him at the quarterback position. So to Mike's point, like if Anthony Richardson went out and ran a four, a sub four five or a four five ish forty, that shows you not only is he a big physical freak, but like the high end upside of breakaway runs becomes very different. Um, the one thing I'll say, Mike, and I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. I want to hear your answer on this first. Do you care at all about the Wonderlick score? No, no, okay. none whatsoever. Okay, good. I, I was hoping you would dramatize it a little more, just for everyone, <laughs> everyone that everyone that does care about it, because like I don't. And I'll tell. Can I tell you why I don't? Go ahead. The top quarterback that I'm aware of, like I, just to give you an idea of some of the top five guys lately, right? Uh, Josh Allen, he had a 37 wonderlick. Now, now for those of you who don't know, that's pretty good. That's a that's a very good yep. wonderlick score. You know, yep. Justin Herbert, 25. That's not a good one to the score. But you know who had, has the worst of the three when I talk about Patrick Mahomes? is Patrick Mahomes at 24. Ooh. Yeah. See, 20, 20, 24 is a, a bad one to the score. But can the quarterback play football? And can – ultimately for me, like the one to the score is an added little bonus, but I could care less as far as how I value it. Like because Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert proved that it's not like essential. Like – if it's really bad, I, I'm just it's just it's not let me just say this. It's Dynasty Generous. Do not change your values because someone goes out and has a poor Wonderlick score or a great Wonderlick score. Like don't equate that. It is uh I, I don't think there's anybody to talk about it more than me as far as just general test taking. Adam, you know I'm an I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> like I'm a pretty dumb, laid back, childish guy. But for whatever reason, all through my academic career, I was very good at taking tests. Now I know some incredibly smart people that blow me out of the water and uh, you know, like I would score higher on test taking than them, whether that's the ECT for those of you on the, uh, the East coast, that's the SAT for you, basically the same thing, but it is a, it is, it is very interesting that people base your intelligence on how well you take a written test, like how well you're able to pick multiple choice answers. Now for me being the dummy, uh, we know that the odds usually favor the C answer. So if you get four choices, uh, you don't know, just circle C and the odds are in your favor that you might be right. So 
some of us figured that out a long time ago, and we did very well with tests. So when you when you base quarterbacks or NFL players like how well you do at multiplication or how well you do at you know comprehending of a paragraph about something you can give two shits less about, and that's how you're going to grade them on an intelligence scale. I hate it, man. I hate it. I want to know how they did in the interview, how they did with actual football plays, concepts, schemes. You know, if a coach draws up there and he, he draws a cover three defense that the quarterback, you know, can get on the whiteboard and go like, oh, yeah, I recognize it's cover three. If it's cover three, I'm going to do this. This is my first. This is my second. This is my uh, my dump off, my hot route. That's the kind of thing I want to know from a quarterback, not not how well he can fucking subtract or add or multiply fractions together. I could give two shits less, man, because he's never doing that on Sundays. Yeah, Mike already knew that. I think, you know, Mike's kind of strategically planned for tests his whole life. Um, I had to get with JB and be like, you know, what does analytics say about multiple choice? And he finally told me that it was C that's most likely. But um, the, the, the reality is, I, I guess to Mike's point, you know, Mike's really looking for the uh, the John Gruden old school you know quarterback camp right. type stuff. Yes, you know? I love that. And, I love that. I miss that so much. Yeah, but but honestly, that's that's the type of thing you're looking for. Um, walking you know someone through the process of what they're seeing and how they're reading things. I, I, I'll tell you this much though, the quarterbacks. I will say we have we have track record. Reason I brought these three up, Mike, is because. You and I played when a lot of leagues, when Justin Herbert and Josh Allen were not the most highly sought after quarterbacks. And I didn't play in many leagues in Dynasty, but I've seen where he's gone. I've seen how people valued him. And Patrick Mahomes wasn't like, holy shit, we got to go get this guy. Right. Reason I bring those those three up is not just for the Wonderlick score in their 40s, but because we don't know. And the reality is anybody that tells you they know, I don't care how smart they are. Like the quarterback is the hardest position to evaluate. Now, combine stuff maybe can help, you know, push and pull rankings for you. But ultimately, like you should go in with the process and just let ultimately their their traits and then the draft capital do the talking and value for you. If you if you think you can predict who is gonna be the quarterback that's just this great like phenomenal NFL talent that's going to translate well year in and year out. Like (laughs) good luck. And if you figure it out, you, you can move 40 chess. You can move anybody. Cause if you can tell everybody who the best NFL quarterback is going to be year in and year out, you'll get paid millions to go be a GM because nobody can figure that shit out. The last one I think also applies to all positions. So we'll just touch on it now and we don't have to touch on it at all. Uh, The rest of them, but it's the medical checks are big. Right, they're going to meet with all Huge. these team doctors, and they're going to go everything. I think back specifically to last year, how big of a fan at this time you and I are of Carson Strong at the quarterback, right? And there's some talk that maybe he's a back-end first-round pick. Uh, Carson Strong might be the guy. He could be the, uh, the the guy who sneaks in the back, and I'm thinking, man, this is a guy I could probably get in my second round, early second round of my rookie drafts. Right, I might be able to get him. Turns out uh, that knee issue that he had in college, he had multiple knee surgeries, was even worse than some of us thought because the NFL did the medical checks. The reports weren't fucking golden. They were very bad, and the NFL did not value him at all come NFL draft, right? Goes undrafted, 
and uh, never really gets a shot. And if you think I, I don't like uh, second and third round quarterbacks, I fucking hate undrafted ones even worse. Even even the guys who technically aren't undrafted. Especially, especially <laughs> you know, Mr. Irrelevance. Like, that's almost worse than Mike's eyes, so. Neither, it is neither neither it here is. nor there. Um, but that that's what I'm looking at the quarterback position now. Let's move on to the running backs, man. The cream of the crop. What we're all going to be watching. I say for me, there's three things that are very important for me at the running back position, and I'll start with the probably the least important, and it's the hardest to kind of quantify because it's more of a visual thing where we don't actually get a number on it. But if you think back to the talk around Kenneth Walker last year, Adam was guy doesn't catch passes. You know, we've never seen him catch passes. He doesn't go out and catch passes. A couple years before that, it was Jonathan Taylor. So when these running backs get in these drills, these receiving drills, I'm looking for it. Like, you can't quantify it with how many they actually caught or how many they dropped or how many yards they got with nobody covering them. But how they look. Do they look Are they capable, right? Right. Because there are running backs that you'll watch at the scouting combine that aren't pass catchers, that – look rigid like running a, a swing route out of the backfield looks painful for them to do it so Can i, I want to know yeah go ahead i was going to ask you um on this point because i think this is a very big one are there players at the running back position you like that you think fit the bill of like okay especially here i want to see what this looks like because i think there's at least one for me i'm mostly interested but i'm sure there's yeah. there's multiple I would say for me, the first one that comes to mind is Tank Bigsby. I want to see how he does running routes. Does he look fluid catching the pass? And not just because his name's Tank, but because it's just something with the way college offenses are schemed up nowadays. Like, there's not a lot of these guys that we think of that translate one for one to the NFL level. Like, there are so many that maybe have one or two traits that are emphasized in college, but not as emphasized in, in, uh, in in the pro game or or vice versa so you think about a guy like deuce vaughn like we don't question anything about his pass catching ability we don't question anything about jameer gibbs pass catching ability but we have some of these other guys where that's not the way they were used in college kenneth walker comes to mind last year jonathan taylor a couple years ago i mean really just any wisconsin running back just the way they scheme up things they don't use their running backs in the passing game now analytically you can kind of dig through the bullshit um if you look at percentage of targets to running backs and how many target percentage of those ones that went to running back and you can kind of see through it but overall people are going to look at receptions they're going to look at receiving yards they're going to look at targets and be they're going to quote things like this guy never got more than 20 targets in a college season okay we get to the combine adam those are the kind of guys where i look at and i want to watch them in drills like Is it just a college offense thing, or are they able to actually go out and run routes? Are they able to catch with their hands and look fluid and not let it hit them in the chest or bounce off the face mask when they get to the NFL on Sunday? So some guys aren't able to do that, right? We we can think of Ronald Jones and all the memes that we had about him just just (laughs) dropping footballs left and right, getting hit in the face mask with the football and fumbling everything away. There are other running backs like Kenneth Walker where it comes to mind where it goes like the narrative last year was that this guy doesn't catch passes, but he looked really good in the drills. Like he looked fine in the drills. He looked natural. We see him in the NFL on Sundays, and I think he even had like an eight-catch game when they were trailing one time, and he just like 
absolutely ate up all the targets, dumps offs left and right. Once Kenneth Walker, they're drawing up screen passes all over the place for him. So that's what I'm looking for for the receptions. The other two, Adam, I would say for me, it's going to be size and it's going to be speed. And if you combine them, you get a speed score. So that becomes the next biggest thing for me. Um, we can say size, I can kind of isolate it a little bit. I think back to Kyron Williams last year. When you weigh in like he did, and then you compound it with the fact that you also run slow, like that becomes a non-starter for me. Uh, Tyler Algier was another one. I was a huge Tyler Algier fan before the combine. Uh, turns out, turns out uh, he, he tested lied. horribly. He, <laughs> he lied. lied at everything. He almost ran uh, a four seven. We're like, you know, maybe right. four four, <laughs> at least sub four five. He was four six five. You're like, what? No, this isn't the guy that we we were nah, talking hard about. Pass. Nah. Right. So you have to knock him down the boards. Uh, the one this year for the size part that stands out to me is going to be Jameer Gibbs, specifically. Like, what does he weigh in at? Um, I think. Another one you can throw in there is Devin A-Chain, but we all kind of assume he's going to be small uh, on the smaller side. Jameer Gibbs, on the other hand, like his value changes drastically, whether he weighs in at 180 or he weighs in at 200, Adam. Like that will change things in people's minds. Then you factor in what they run in the 40, how they test athletically. Speed score is a great indicator of future fantasy success. Our, our guy, Jordan Backus, head of analytics at Destination Debbie, has some great tables on speed score. We have great hit rate tables that he's made, too, that correlate 40 times, size, all that in as well. Um, so it's not just about, like, there's not a number I'm looking for for the running backs. Like, oh, you got to run under 4.5. Because I think of guys like Derrick Henry, right? He runs over 4.5. But he weighed in at 247 pounds. So for a guy that's 247 to go out there and run a 4.5 gives him a 97th percentile speed score, which is absolutely elite. Those are the kind of guys that I'm looking for to wow me. The guys, on the other hand, who weigh in at 200 and go out and run a 4.55, little bit more of a question mark, right? A little bit more of a knockdown, especially when you get a guy like Tyler Algier who, who comes in, weighs in fine, and then runs absolutely horrible, not even in the 4-5, down <laughs> near in the 4-7. So how about you for the running back position? What are you looking for? Well, I mean, I think, you you know, you already kind of hit on a lot of the things here. Um, l- let me touch on a couple things. I, I will say not, not necessarily trades because you've already kind of hit on a lot of that. Uh, to go back to your first point, you know, how people look in the combine when we're, especially at the running back position, catching passes. I think one of the hardest things to do is say, like, this is why I rely on Ray and why I love being a part of DD because he'll do film breakdown and he'll help show us, right? Like here's on tape where, you know, maybe there wasn't a lot of receptions, but this guy can catch passes or like he may not be seen as a pass catcher, but he's totally able to like, for, for example, Zach Charbonnet for me, like I've already seen enough to know he can catch passes. Like, I believe in that. Now, is the NFL going to give him a role, which is a third down role? I don't know. But I know that exists as an upside play for him. Some of the guys that I think are going to fit this bill, to your point, but later on, at least where they're going in mocks now, which I'm intrigued by, uh, the first one's going to be uh, Izzy Abanacanda. And the reason I bring him up is, like, this guy kind of exploded out of nowhere. But everything we think of, at least what we're told, is 
he's going to test really well. Like, you know, he's going to be 5'11", 215-ish, like more than bell cow capable. But you've seen nothing really from receptions in college. But last year he had 12, for example, um, which ideally is not good. Like, you want to see much more than that. Jonathan Taylor, you know, people were concerned, but he had better pass catching stats. But at the same time, he was, you know, 13 yards per catch when he got the ball. Two years ago, he actually had 24 catches. So I guess my thing is I, I haven't seen enough of this to know, is he not capable or was he just not given the opportunity? So let's say this guy tests well, right? Good size speed score. He's coming out, you know, early declare. And then he looks good on, you know, in the combine with like his hands look fluid. He's not looking like he's, you know, to your point, Rojo. Like, all right, if you throw the ball this guy, it's going to drop straight to the floor. Like, if I see stuff like that from him in the combine, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, you know, a band of can that goes like skyrockets for me, but it's a little nugget that I'm excited for if, because I don't ever expect a team to say, you know, you know, Izzy, you're, you're our workhorse. But what have we seen? Injuries happen. If he can pass pro and he can catch, like he may in spots be given a three-down workload. Like that matters to me. Um, I guess I, I would say the same thing. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the player, but and I expect him probably not to be able to catch passes. But uh, Imbram from you know Minnesota, like he has not shown yeah. any ability to catch passes, and I don't think he can. But like if he looked decent in the combine and was able to show decent hands, like I don't know how much that I would really weigh it up if that makes sense. Like I think there's guys that I'm intrigued by. But if he looks like super fluid, like, oh, my God, he might be able to catch passes, but Minnesota just didn't give him a chance to. Like, it's not going to move my rankings up, but it's like, okay, maybe that's more than I thought he gave me on the stat sheet. So, uh, to your point, I think that's just one point in the running back room that I'm looking for. U- ultimately, I think the biggest things, though, are, you know, going to be realistically, like A-Chain and Gibbs, you know, what, what, what do they weigh in at? Uh, I think those are, like, two of the most polarizing like, if Gibbs came in over 200 and checks all the boxes that we have him at, like, to the moon. To the moon. But if he comes in at, like, sub 190, I think you're going to have a very hard time deciding what to do with Gibbs. Like, that's just... Like, weight is probably the most important things for guys like A-Chain and for uh, Gibbs as far as how people are viewing them. All right, let's move on to the wide receivers, Adam. And this one has changed drastically for me in the last couple of years. I mean, we all get wowed by the wide receivers going out and running 40s. Um, we also used to look a lot on how they weighed in, right? We kind of put that threshold at like 180. Man, if the wide receiver ain't 180, we don't want him. And uh, Devontae Smith kind of put all that shit to bed, right? So it just doesn't matter. Goes out, wins, doesn't matter what his BMI is, and we'll make jokes about it forever. He's just good at football. The wide receivers are kind of all over the map. Um, there's not a lot. Like, I think about the ones that were really good last year. Uh, you know, Devante, or, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, the two Ohio State guys. Garrett Wilson coming out and running a 4-3-9 was like, holy shit. I didn't know he was that fast. You know, we kind of thought of him as more of a physical wide receiver. Came out, showed that he can blaze. Chris Olave. Again, I I viewed him. You're an Ohio State fan, so you know more because you watched him over his entire career. But I didn't view him as this elite like deep 
speed threat and for him to run a four three nine. Like I figured he was more of a route technician, more of a Devontae Smith role, and uh him coming out and blazing opened some eyes. But then you had some other guys that disappointed, and I think on the negative side, and this also touches with any of these other positions, Adam, but Traylon Burks himself, I mean, we kind of we we saw it on the field, him being extremely fast and pulling away from SEC talent. So for him to come out and run the way he did, now it was respectable because he, he weighed in at 220 pounds and measured 6'2". Like, that was a big right. dude to run that. I think the thing, though, that threw me off is, like, the film and what you saw on the field didn't match the athletic testing. The athletic testing as a whole was disappointing. I also say it applies to other positions because I already talked about Kyron Williams, but one of the other things I kind of look for for everybody but especially at the wide receiver position because it's kind of all over the map is how prepared are you this is your essentially your biggest job interview you're ever gonna have right like there's not many of us that are gonna say we're gonna sit in a job interview for some position that could pay us millions of dollars a year right (laughs) we get crazy fandom go in the first round make millions of dollars in one year endorsement deals out the ass so it is it is like a job interview. So to show up kind of unprepared when your your skill set is your athletic performance, right? That's what they're judging you on to kind of come in overweight or out of shape or, you know, just not mentally ready to perform on this stage is a little bit concerning. And that, and it's nothing against or, uh, Traylon Burks. I still like him. Like, I still want him in Dynasty. I still think he did fine. And we saw things from him last year. But I think at the scouting combine, that should have been a red flag for a lot of people where you go like, wait a minute here. And and I think for some it was. You remember those super flex mock drafts where he's going at the 101 overall? I, I was going to say it was, it was at least for some, uh, enough. Yes. 101 became 105, 106, and then asthma happened and it became back-end first-round pick. Right. right. So I, I think that is something to take away is just how prepared they are. But I'm not going to lie, I do get kind of – I find myself in awe and I I wow at how fast these guys are, but a few other things I look for how high they jump, right? Because they're going to be in positions to have to win jump balls. So I want to see what the vertical is. How did you see, uh, did you see DK's new vertical? Oh no. What is it? No, I mean, there was a, there's a commercial out there. That's like, you know, fake. It's this uh, new Gatorade fast switch. (laughs) You, You saw that he jumped like seven feet. It's all CGI. So, Oh, kind of like back in the day, you remember the Michael Vick commercial? Yeah. Throws the ball out the stadium. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yes. But I do want to see how high they jump and, and the broad jump, right? Broad jump is a good measure, in my opinion, of explosiveness just in general. So how fast you can get in and out of your breaks, um, how fast downfield, like you just your quick twitch ability. So if you have an impressive broad jump, I think of Donovan Peoples-Jones, killed it in the, the vertical test, killed it in the broad jump. Uh, one other thing that I've become more aware of, and it's uh, one of our favorite wide receivers back in the day, but measurements, right? I want to know hand size and I want to know arm length. I think about Brandon Ayuk and those giant arms that he has, <laughs> that crazy wingspan, and we see him use it on a weekly basis, right? He wins a lot of contested catches. He snatches a lot of balls that are off thrown by uh, Brock Purdy or Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> because he has ridiculously long arms so always a good thing but wide receivers what are you looking for yeah I mean I I think you already hit on a lot of it um 
I, obviously, we all want you know fast forty times. I, I think the one thing though about the forty time, what's what's interesting is, you you find out it's a lot about technique. Now, to your to your point, you know, you you, you plan to be a first second round NFL draft pick. Like I'd hope you right. worked on your technique because this is to your point. It's your interview. So, I, and I know a lot of these guys do now, um, but at the same time, like sometimes you'll see on film where they look really fast, but in their 40 time isn't maybe their technique's just really bad and they, maybe they've tried to work on it, but it's just not for them in the 40 to run a really fast one. But you see on film, it's different. Um, I would say this, speaking of DK Metcalf, the, the one thing like I'm kind of curious, I don't think there's a DK Metcalf in this class. That's like this big guy that we're concerned on. But like when you think about him, right? Like this guy was like, he's created in the lab really when you look at his, mm-hmm. him but then you know his agility score was horrible right because of the one drill and like people actually freaked out about that they're like you know he he's big strong fast he can do all this stuff but he, he's not gonna be able to get in and out of routes like that was a real concern so i also think there's a uh let me let me try to phrase this right like you're over fucking thinking it yeah <laughs> Like I, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. That's just dead serious. Like sometimes, don't put too much to the paper and let it, you know, overweigh what you've already seen on film, what you already have seen. Like DK Metcalf, outside of that one drill, is outrageous. Like he is literally the prototypical, you know, size speed freak. But there was the agility score that was horrible, and people were like, you know, he, he just won't, he won't win at the next level. Right. That's silly shit. So. I don't know. I, I think more than anything, because you already hit on a lot of the stuff we're looking for. I also say, don't overthink something if a lot of the other things check out. You know, what I mean, don't like. I, I think it's important at the combine for these receivers to, you know, appropriately give what they do and how they test. But like, if you if you're convicted on, let's say, you know, uh, JSN. You know, or what, whoever it is, I don't care. Jordan Addison, but if like if if when Jalen Kylet comes out and he runs a crazy forty, like we all expect that to happen. He's he's a blazer. Like don't allow that to push him over someone that you shouldn't. Like I I think that's the biggest thing I can say for receivers in the combine. Like I'm not saying you know don't give it any merit, but what I will say is don't get into overreaction based on you know a couple of tests. I guess that's the biggest right. way I can phrase what I'm saying. I'm with you. The whole combine should be kind of taken in moderation. Um, there are some things that will move guys up or down boards for me, but it's not going to be these wild swings, right? Exactly. The tier, the tier might become closer, or maybe I just adjust tier slightly. You know, the I think about the Traylon Burks, Drake London thing. Traylon Burks comes out and kind of disappoints a little bit, and he's not everything that we thought he was. I still want him in my rookie drafts, but now maybe the conversation comes in. Do I take Garrett Wilson or do I take Drake London or do I take Traylon Burks? Right. Agreed. Before, before the combine, it's like clear you're taking Traylon Burks, right? This is the guy, this is the guy that everybody wants. And, and to be honest, Adam, if he comes out and he runs four, four at 220 and you don't have any of these athletic concerns and you saw everything. People that are creaming saw, their people, pants. They're right, creaming their pants. Right. He's right back into that one one conversation pretty easily so i think i take everything in moderation but 
with the wide receivers, I'm with you. It's the hardest position for the combine anyways for me to like move guys up or down boards. But I do think my big takeaway is to pay attention to the bad performances Agreed. and adjust accordingly and pay attention to the really good ones. Like David Bell last year is a great point. Right. right. If someone shits the bed, I don't care what analytics say. If they check no boxes at the combine, that's where there's concern. But don't just panic on one thing or two things. Right. Uh, a guy like Christian Watson, who we had questions about, comes out and does everything perfect at the combine. And that should have been the key that, hey, man, if if he does this, he's such a freak athletically, like the way he tested. And then, in turn, the NFL gives him reasonable draft capital. Like, no matter what your priors on him, you have to pay attention to it and you have to adjust accordingly. It just doesn't need to be a wild swing, right? Just because Christian Watson was the best athletic receiver at the combine doesn't mean all of a sudden you move him up to 101. What I'm saying is instead of him being like, well, maybe I take him in the second round or maybe I take him in the mid part of the second round, maybe you go like, listen, man, the NFL likes him. He does a lot of the things that the NFL wants to see. He's going to get an opportunity and he's athletically gifted. So maybe I move him up. Maybe at the back end of the first round is where I should be taking Christian Watson. And then you see it pay off. So that's what I mean by moderation and these small adjustments. We'll move on to the tight end position. It's going to be my favorite one. Yeah, real, go ahead. Real quick. I mean, uh, I, I want to get to tight end because I think this is going to be an interesting one because it's a deep class. But I, I'll say this. Um, when we talk about the receiver, I, I think – couple things one i'm not i'm not sure this class necessarily matters for this but like we're starting to see you know like Devonte smith you know sometimes people want to over catapult like they went back for their senior year like we saw Devonte smith yeah. and chris olave now go back for the senior year and then all of a sudden in dynasty like that's doesn't mean shit anymore to the same point um Devonte smith is kind of and we've seen some of these receivers that are shiftier still matter so i think Weight used to be like why DK Metcalf people are freaking out. Two twenty eight, right? I mean, holy shit, this guy is outrageously built. But when you see Devonte Smith, you know we talk about the Slim Reaper. The guy's one seventy. People are like, dude, you can't play at the NFL. Like it doesn't. I don't care what you did at Alabama, what you did, all this stuff. Weight, I think for me is where I think it get interesting because Addison is the the prime guy I'm thinking of in this class because you know he's going to be like six foot 170 175 and like we had a great sophomore year out of him I think we like the prospect overall um, but he doesn't have like Devontae Smith numbers now he, he produced earlier but he never had you know some crazy Heisman season he did have a great sophomore year and I, I like a lot of his profile my point is overall I think I'm interested to see how people view if Addison checks in at 170, 175, or some of these receivers check in really light, and does that matter anymore? Because I think it used to, and I'm not sure that it should in a big part of the you know metrics when we talk combine. I think for a lot of us, at least in our age range, Adam, like we got spoiled when we grew up watching football and playing Madden and watching NFL and you know maybe our first foray into fantasy. I mean, we're talking about the the premier age for alpha build wide receivers, like those guys that you make on Madden, right? And Calvin Johnson was one of those guys who ruined it for everybody, right? Unless you're six six and two thirty, 
every everybody else just doesn't look like an alpha wide receiver. So right. I think for far too long, like our generation kind of kind of superimposed that on like this is what we want for our dynasty teams. This is what we want to see for our NFL teams in the draft. We right, want we're looking the for AJ Johnson. Brown, DK Metcalf types, but they're not right. always going to be that. You look at the the ADP for wide receivers and like how many of these guys are actually that that alpha type that 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 Calvin Johnson mold or even if you don't want to go Calvin Johnson like think of a guy who's like 6'3 and 215 right that build that we all kind of covet I mean Justin Jefferson no Jamar Chase no CeeDee Lamb no Tyreek no Amon-Ra no Jalen Waddle no I mean, even AJ Brown. I mean, he is rocked up, but he is he is short. I mean, he's a six foot wide receiver, right? Back right. in the day, the back in the day, that's the kind that you attribute to like a David Boston type. Right? Yeah, David Boston pre steroids. <laughs> how about that? Or maybe he was always on at steroids. least. How about know. at least mid steroids? Like he was getting there, but <laughs> not go. quite the crazy rocked up one. But Chris Olave, no. Uh, Stefan Diggs, no. I mean, you get T Higgins in there one of the outliers as far as like the alpha build type wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, um, Devonte Smith, you know, Cooper cup, <laughs> like Cooper cup isn't winning any underwear Olympics, but he's fantastic at what he does. So I think we can kind of throw that out the, the window. There was a time where, you know, I really paid attention to like, you're talking to like how much the guy weigh in, how tall is he? You know, is he like six, two, six, three doesn't really matter anymore. I still get wowed by those guys who are that big, right? The the DK Metcalfs who go out there and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe this guy runs this fast and jumps this high, being as big as he is. But don't get too blown away by it, right? There, there's only a few Calvin Johnsons in the world, and I don't think there's many coming into the NFL anytime soon. Well, and you know what? Honestly, man, I think that's the biggest takeaway is understanding that it's really shifted to what an alpha means. And it's not necessarily like you have to be DK Metcalf, right? Or right. Calvin Johnson. And now to that point, what you said is now, if you can check all the boxes and you are DK Metcalf and you land in a great spot, holy shit. Because what was Traylon Burke supposed to be? Right. Why were we, why were we putting him one Oh one? If he was everything we thought size and speed and he, he checked all those boxes. That's why he's one Oh one. The problem is I think we're starting to see do those guys really separate? And if they're elite separators and they're big and strong and fast, we go, holy shit, like we can change everything. But you look at the molds of all the guys in the top tier, the ones that really are different now, like they separate in footwork. They separate in different ways, and that's what actually makes them different. The The, the top tier guys, like, probably the only one really in the top 12 that's like holy shit look at that guy when you see him step off of a bus as dk the other guys right. are just going to beat you based on their skill set right not a lot of nfl offenses anymore i mean i i still get mad when i watch like nfl on sundays and i see them get down to the goal line and they throw like three straight fade routes but not a lot of offenses are just built on the wide receiver out muscling them or just going up and mike evidence you know just being bigger and stronger than the other team. A lot of it's schemed open, and it's the guys who can get open in, you know, man coverage and not press man, right? Back in the day, it used to be, oh, this guy can't get off press man coverage, and Ray's done a fantastic job about saying that not many teams play press man. Like, that's not a big part of defenses. They will play man coverage, but it's off man. You know, they give them a cushion. 
but it's how fast you can break down the defender, right? How fast you can get that separation, uh, whether that's in Ray has talked about that, whether that's, you know, in the route, uh, doing it with, you know, off the line, whether that's doing it in the route with your footwork, your route running ability, or whether it's a guy like Jamar Chase, who Ray has also talked about, who's who's one of those late separators, right? Just has that body control, that ability, that little hand movement to get that, that knock the hands away, that burst to get that extra half yard to get that separation in the route. So that is definitely the mold of the wide receiver. Where being six foot five and two hundred and twenty pounds really doesn't matter as much anymore. If you can't separate, if you can't get off, that's really not what the NFL's looking for. And I think they've made it pretty clear by who they've established as the alpha receivers of the league. Go through the whole list. There's not many of those guys left who are the gigantic types. Well, I mean, because here's the thing. I, I just looked while you're talking because I think this is something that if you have any weight concern, really, like unless Addison is, you know, outrageously small, like sub 170 or something, like you right. shouldn't even worry about this anymore because I'm going through the ranks just to see on Keep Trade Cut while you're talking about this. There's nobody that's physically outrageously imposing, literally in the top 30 spots, aside from like AJ Brown's physical weight, strong, you know, swole Batman. Uh, DK Metcalf is a freak. But here's the thing. You're chasing it with Traylon Burks, you know, at 21. You're chasing it in a way with the, it's not necessarily DK, but the the height and the the ability of Pickens, right? You know, six three, all the traits he has. You're chasing it there. Now, if if those guys that are difference makers in size can separate and fire, like yeah, they got elite upside, given they have a good quarterback. But outside of those two, Mike. Um, you know, Traylon and Pickens are chasing or AJ Brown and DK, everybody else, literally until you get to, you know, I don't even, Amari Cooper's not even physically imposing. Like the whole top 30, 40 guys, like they're all, none of them are like, holy shit, look at that guy. Like, I, I think it's important to understand that shouldn't even really be a concern anymore. Like that's what the receiver position is now. The other thing too, maybe it's just my old schoolness kind of built into me and old football coaches and just being listening to the game, watching the game, being around the game for a while uh, and where I'm at. But when the receivers actually go out and run the drills, I like to watch the guys who are are natural hands catchers, right? Those guys who go out and attack the football instead of letting the football get into their body. I don't know how many times they run that gauntlet drill and I just, I get irate when I watch them just try to like chest catch it, you know, let it come into their body and then it bounces off and it goes somewhere else. Like I really enjoy the ones who look extremely fluid, even more so than the running backs, watching them go out there and use their hands and attack the football and try to go get it before it gets to them. So that, that's maybe a little bit of old school thing, but that's also something else I look for in the combine. I like to look and see who the the natural catchers are of the football. That's why Mike hates uh, Gabe Davis, but you know we're not even going to do that right now. So we're going to get into Mike's favorite, the tight ends. Um, it is. Really we're going to talk. We're going to talk the whole tight end landscape. We're not going to let Mike dominate this conversation in his Iowa. Um, you can't <laughs> see it in the background, but it's all Iowa. It's all tight end. You. Um, and there's another one here to keep in mind. But Mike, go ahead and talk to us, tight ends. Let me let me say this before you do, Dynasty Degenerates. Um, Raz score is something that's really important at the tight end position. And the RAS score really, you know, 
it basically compensates everything that a tight end will do at the combine. And, you know, you're not guaranteed by RAS score to say who's going to be the elite tight ends. But if you look at it, the tight ends that get into the elite group typically check the RAS score boxes. And if you look at the ones that don't check the RAS score boxes that mean something, if you go back and look at their history, you had every window to buy in. And even when they're still kind of scoring well, you can buy in at a reasonable price. Where if you invest in tight ends that don't have RAS score and they don't fire, like you burn all of that capital. So I guess the point before Mike gets into this is if there's a, a tight end you really like but doesn't have a high RAS score and you invest something, you could end up lighting that on fire. But if you don't, even though you want to invest, let's say you were going to take them in the early third or the late second. Chances are, because the RAS score is not high, your difference is going to be now you got to pay an early second. Like what you'll lose if they hit is worth paying up later for. Because if you miss, you, you light the whole thing on fire. Adam, so much of this comes from Scott Connor, just the work he's done on the Rascal and the tight ends. I know you and I, we uh, we made a few trades, and we actually did a podcast where we were talking about Brevin Jordan, and he made Scott's list of guys that, you know, don't check the Raz benchmarks, go ahead and move off of them, re-roll into something else. If Brevin Jordan fires, go ahead and uh, go ahead and you don't buy back in, right? You can buy back in it cheaper. And you and I made a deal for Brevin Jordan because we're on opposite ends of the spectrum on it, right? I'm, I'm reading what Scott's putting on Twitter, and I'm like, listen, man, we got to talk about this thing. Like, tight end RAS score means a lot. And you're like, I'll buy it, man. I like Brevin Jordan. I'll go ahead and uh, how'd that work out for you, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what the pick became. Who? So, I, you know. I don't, even yeah. know, I don't even know who that guy is. I, I don't remember the trade. I don't know who Brevin Jordan is anymore. Uh, I, I don't know what I pay, but I know it doesn't matter because Brevin Jordan's value is maybe if you find someone that still believes in the name late third I, I, at best, maybe not right. even that. Like he's he's kind of become that hunter long territory for us, right? Where like you and I we're like ah fuck it, maybe we'll maybe we'll take a shot on Brevin Jordan. <laughs> the, the the only difference I guess is like Brevin Jordan at least did you something in his rookie right. year, but. Also, he has no RAS score. You look at his body of work now, and you're like, um, okay, why do I want this player? But yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure, the RAS score was predictive of probably what was likely with Brevin Jordan. And even though he had a decent rookie season, you know, I bought into you know the Brevin Jordan name hype, and it was a perfect example of why not to do that. So I think that's a big one for me. I mean, you you kind of stole a lot of the thunder there from me, but that is the RAS score is the first thing I'm going to look at, and it's uh, on the measurement of all their athletic testing, right? Their size, their speed, uh, how much they bench press, you know, what their three cone is, you know, what their broad jumps, their verts are, and it gives it a relative athletic score. That's what it stands for. That's what RAS is. So RAS is big for me, but one of the other things I really look at, Adam, and it's kind of a two-part thing, it's size and then when the tight ends do the blocking drills. So for me as a tight end aficionado, and I've seen it time and time again with multiple tight ends that I really like, not only from Iowa, but from the Eagles. One of the things I do know is if a tight end can't block for shit, you have to be an elite mismatch. Like you have to be 
if you're smaller, undersized at the tight end position and you can't block very well, you have to be an elite mismatch. Like so think about like Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is a glorified slot receiver and look how long it's taken for Evan Ingram to actually he had that great rookie year and then it's been nothing but hype and disappointment since, right? And it took right. this long to this past year for Evan Ingram to finally rebound. It's because of that deficiency that he has of his size being on the smaller side and the fact that he's not a great blocker. One of the things being a decently sized tight end who's a good blocker is it affords NFL teams to put you on the field in almost every single situation. And the hardest thing to do is to get opportunity when your ass is on the bench for a percentage of the snaps. So if you're out there for 75, 80%, 90% of the snaps because the NFL team trusts you to be out on the field in pass blocking or run blocking and be on the field in all situations, it does lead to more opportunities for getting targets, scoring fantasy points. So when I look at the tight end position, the first thing I'm looking at, Rat score. How'd you do? What's your size? But the next thing I do watch blocking drills. How good of a blocker are you? How fluid are you? Do you look like an extension of the offensive line or do you look like a liability <laughs> on the offensive line? Like it really depends. You you only get one spectrum or the other, Adam. There's no happy middle ground. <laughs> so either you're you're a decent enough blocker or I shouldn't say decent enough. I should say willing blocker. So when right, we talk correct. about I got to mention it. We're talking about tight ends. When I talk about Sam Laporta, and one of the things we talked about with Ray on the, the AMA about Sam Laporta is he's not an outstanding blocker. So don't think of him like a George Kittle or TJ Hawkinson. Both of those guys throughout their college career and NFL careers are fantastic. They're blockers. elite, man, honestly, in my mind. They're elite blockers. Another one that we really like, uh, Dallas Goddard, elite blocker. Well, at the that's that's a interesting case. But, yeah, keep going. Right. Good blockers get on the field no matter what, even if there's competition ahead of them. Sam Laporta, on the other hand, he's not an elite blocker, but he's not a liability, right? He's a willing blocker, right? He goes out there and he tries hard. He doesn't always always win, but he really does put in a lot of effort and he's serviceable. I think about another Iowa tight end that you and I both love, but we've also seen be an efficiency because he can't block for shit as Noah Fant. And the fact Noah Fant can't block for shit lets Colby Parkinson on the field. Let's Will Disley on the field. And then you see this nasty three-headed monster split in Seattle when in reality what we all want is Noah Fant to be the only tight end in Seattle to get all the tight end targets and all the receptions and all the touchdowns, and that's just not the case because unfortunately for Noah Fant, he never really participates in the the run game. <laughs> he never participates in blocking too well. He's the Again, kind of in that Evan Ingram mold, just a glorified slot receiver at this point. Free Noah Fant. Free him. Damn it. Noah Fant was one of my biggest misses last year. Mike's, you know what he's doing? He's rubbing salt in the wound, and I understand what's happening here. It's okay. You know, he, he's upset. We all are. We we missed on Noah Fant. But he, here's the thing. I, I think to this point, um, main thing I'm looking for first is going to be Razcore. Like, draft capital is important, but it's not the utmost. Like, if you get RAS score, I don't, round four, round five, like, that's actually maybe what I want because then I can get you late. You know, I can get you round four, definitely round three, maybe even round five in a tight end premium draft, you know, because Mike talked about Sam Laporta, but um, let me tell you, 
and I don't know if I, I might want to key Mike in just so we can name all the other tight ends in this class because here's the thing this tight end class is super fucking deep like I think what's missed here and I think why this conversation is really important and why I told Mike from the beginning and I, I will ask him again on air like his stance on Michael Mayer because of this Michael Mayer I think will check like okay can he block yes can you do everything a team wants him to do? Yes, absolutely. But what I don't know is, is he an elite Razcore guy? Like, actually, when I say that, I don't, like, I kind of don't believe that he is. Rumors are he won't run, because why would he? He's going to be a first, second round pick. He's going to be the first or second tight end off the board in a deep class. Yeah. So now we don't have a Razcore. Highly touted guy, can block, he, he can check all these boxes. But without the elite upside, is it worth paying the price of what Michael Mayer is when you have Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta, Tucker Craft? I mean, I can go on and on and on later. And honestly, for me, I'll, I'll just answer the question before Mike does. Not saying I'm right or wrong. For my process, what I've learned overall is, okay, if it's Kyle Pitts, so Kyle Pitts is essentially like when you look at his RAS score, it's outrageous. Like Mike alluded to Noah Fant, but Kyle Pitts is the only one outside of Noah Fant that's just like, okay, this is a receiver that gets to play tight end. You know, what you paid for him up front in rookie drafts was was crazy, but no one else possesses Kyle Pitts. But if you're talking like that upside doesn't exist, why am I paying first, second round draft capital? Because likelihood is they're not going to give you high-end upside ever. And they may just fall into this middling tight end range, which what do we know? Like go back to Dallas Goddard. I think Dallas Goddard is a perfect example of, to your point, what do we like? A lot of the traits, everything checks. He can block, athletic, all this stuff. But guess what happens? Because he's such a damn good blocker and Zach Ertz is there, what happens? He actually gets utilized as the blocking tight end and and Zach Ertz is eating into his receiving workload. I'm not going to say that's like, you know, the norm, but my point is if you're drafting a tight end high, you almost have to have them have early production and have high end upside to really make that pick worth it. So um, flipping it back to Mike, um, we're not talking Sam Laporta yet. We'll get to it, but starting at Michael Mayer and going down, uh, your, your thoughts overall. Listen, you and I fought before we even had a podcast, right? We were, we were talking about Kyle Pitts and, you know, why spend the capital on Kyle Pitts when you can get a Pat Fryermuth in the second round for far cheaper or, the, you know, the late second. Um, I will say this going back in hindsight, even though Pat Fryermuth has been good. I'd much rather have Kyle Pitts. So I was wrong on that one. Agreed. But that being that being said, Adam, you alluded to a lot of the fact that Michael Mayer is not Kyle Pitts. He is not that elite Raz score guy. Um, if he doesn't run and doesn't like shock the world, like if he came out and he had like a pretty good Raz score and he's gonna get the draft capital, I think his back end first round like talk about him being taken in rookie drafts would be like I would be in, I would we be would, okay to go ahead. Yes, we would both be. I, I I would even say it's warranted then. Like if he if he if he proves me wrong and he goes out and runs and it kills it, 
Like, okay, right. now he checks all the boxes. Maybe then I'm in. Right, agree. If, if he goes out and he has like an athletic performance like TJ Hawkinson, not not spectacular, but but on the upper echelon. Um, right, four seven forty checks a lot of the boxes and can block. Yes, we're talking different different conversation. Right. Yes, I think that that is fair because we're not talking about him like an early first in your rookie draft pick, right? We're talking about somebody who may go at the 119, 110, 111, 112, which would be perfectly fine. And I'd be willing to draft Michael Mayer there. If we go into it as an unknown Adam, and I have no idea if this guy is a plus athlete or if he's just like a, you know, Hunter Henry or, or worse level type athlete. With the way the tight end class is, with some of the names that you named off, right? Dalton Kincaid, we got Luke Musgrave hype just because that is a guy I think who we all think is going to be an elite RAS score guy with the, the immense size and the I'll speed. I'll be shocked if he's not, right? Right. Uh, you got my guy, Sam Laporta. There's other guys in this class like Tucker Craft who are very inter- interesting. The, uh, the Coons kid is very interesting as well. There's a lot of tight ends in this class. Uh, we haven't even talked about a guy who's going to measure in at a, just an absolute fucking unit, and that's Darnell Washington, right? You're going to talk about a tight end who's damn near six seven, six eight. Holy shit! <laughs> going to be two fifty, two sixty, maybe two seventy. Like that is a guy where if he comes out and he runs a four seven, we're having like the Jelani Woods conversation of last year, where nobody had Jelani Woods on the radar. And then he comes out and he performs like he did at the combine. And you look at his RAS score and you go, holy shit. Like, this is a guy I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about all these other tight ends, Adam, and then you tell me that I have one that I don't know if is going to have a decent enough RAS score or if he's just kind of a middle-of-the-pack guy, is going to get NFL draft capital, and I got to spend the 110 on him, or I could get two or three of these other guys in round three, maybe round four of my rookie drafts. I'm going to shoot my shot on those other ones, right? I'm going to go a different position in round one, and I'm going to come back and you know, round three and four if I want my tight end fixed. There's so many to choose from that I can shoot my shot on. So as far as Michael Mayer goes, that's where I'm at with him. But it's not to say that he can't come out and kind of surprise everybody and go like, you know what, fuck it, man. I'm going to go test at the combine, and you know, I believe in my abilities. I believe I can run a 4.7 or under, you know, and I'm going to measure in at a very decent size and – has a decent enough RAS score. And if that's the case, the NFL is willing to take him. You know, like I've seen mock drafts where he's like a, you know, top 15 pick. Like I got to pay attention to him at the back part of my rookie drafts. I really do. Fair enough. Um, I, I guess let, let me ask you this, Mike, because I, I think the other big thing about like Michael Mayer, like I, I think what you hit on is pretty, pretty good. Uh, I won't lie. If we're talking 2022, in the tight end class there, if you want to shoot your shot on Michael Mayer, not knowing Raz. Right. Okay. I'm not going to agree with you. I'll be honest, but like, I'm like, okay, you want this position and you think he checks the boxes fine. Cause that, cause why they didn't have all these guys. They didn't have all these later round guys. I could, here's the thing. I, I think you could just as easily find a way to get cheaply, third and fourth round picks, you could you could draft three of these guys and not pay what Michael Mayer costs. Give yeah. me one give me one. And um speaking of one, like, you know, we're talking Sam Laporta. There's there so many in this class that are intriguing, which is why I think twenty three is the reality is like DJU didn't pan out, right? We're not really sure how these quarterbacks are gonna be. Uh CJ and Bryce don't have the the high end upside people think in the NFL. 
which could end up being wrong. Uh, we have a rich and Levis that people think are more projects. The wide receiver position is taking a big catapult and this wide receiver class is not the strong suit of the class. Running back is deep as hell and running back has taken a value dump given last year and what we've seen in years past. So what's interesting is I think like top end, we're starting to see 23 kind of have a shit feeling given what people thought it would be. But I think what like the tight end position does is say, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it isn't as top heavy as we once thought, but I'll tell you what it is, is it's deep. And let me ask you this, Mike, because you know, Sam Laporte, you're hyping him up. If Tucker Kraft ends up being Rascor guy, legit, can we call the Jackrabbits, you know, the light version of the Hawkeyes? I'm willing, man. I like the Jackrabbits, right? <laughs> They're putting out talent at that school. I, I really do. I love to hear this. I love to I hear do. this. We'll call it uh, Iowa West. <laughs> wow. Okay, there it is, Iowa West. I, I, I actually really like Tucker Kraft, though. Um, especially at cost today. I mean, yeah, who knows what the RAS score is and where he will, right. will go. I really like him. But at the same time, like, there's so many tight ends, which when you tell me, like, you take this third, I, I think if you look back at 22, you get the third round. Mike, in the second round, back at the second, we're like, just get rid of it. Like, if you can find a way to re-roll it, do it. Well, maybe, maybe not. But now, like, if you – these thirds that people are like, ah, I don't want thirds. I'll take these thirds and throw ins. I'll, I'll find a way to get thirds. I, I would like to shoot my shot on a lot of these type guys in the third round, especially at tight end, because there's RAS score upside and because the running back depth, I think, pushes some of the tight ends to third and fourth round territory. And Correct. the thing about this tight end room, like outside of if we don't know what Mayer is, is like a lot of these guys we're talking about are big, strong, and fast. Which ultimately, what does that mean? Raz score is pretty good. I think there's a scenario where that's important. We're like last year, we're talking later, like Isaiah Likely, who ended up having, you know, a couple of games because, you know, Andrews got hurt. But his Raz score ended up sucking. Like I loved him, but me and you were kind of like, oh man, that Raz score isn't there. Like it's probably not worth the investment. We could be looking at six, seven, eight guys with Raz scores here, and you may not have to pay outside of Mayer anything but a third for right. any of them. That's the difference. Right. I'm with you, buddy, man. I, I am excited for the combine. I, I do find myself watching far too much of it. Uh, we touched on it earlier, but moderation. Uh, don't get too overhyped. But if, if even Adam and I were out here preaching moderation about the combine, this is why we've always said rookie picks are some of the best investments you can make because this is all people are going to talk about for the next couple of weeks, right? We're going to have the combine and the aftermath of the combine, and it's just a, a buildup from here right up to the NFL draft, man. And this is all your league mates are going to be talking about. This is all they're going to be consuming. Uh, we're going to have podcasts where we're going to talk about, you know, Tucker Craft, man. Can you believe that guy came out and ran a 4 five forty at, you know, 6'5 and 255 pounds? Holy shit. He's got a 98th percentile RAS. And all of a sudden, Tucker Craft goes from a guy who in our mock drafts sometimes gets taken in four rounds sometimes gets forgotten to a guy that's, you know, all of a sudden mid-second, mid-second round pick and gets moved up. So the hype does build. I will say this. I will leave you dynasty degenerates with a few players 
that I am locked in on. I want to see what they do for various reasons. Uh, the first one for me is going to be Keishon Boutte, and it really doesn't have too much to do with as athletic testing, but I mentioned earlier the interview process is pretty big for these guys. So I want to see what the talk is about Keishon Boutte coming out of the combine, how NFL teams are feeling when they interview him, um, how they, they talk about some of the off-field stuff that ended the season and then earlier in the season, the on-the-field uh, the kind of lackadaisical effort, the the bad start to the season, and see if some of that talent, uh, you know, there was there was a case for him being wide receiver one in this class for the longest time. To see some of that that talent starts to shine through in the NFL community, NFL teams come around on him, or if we're still going to get these rumors where he might not even be a first round pick, he might not even go in the second round. You know, there's some real concerns about it. So uh, I'm interested in that. Uh, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm very excited to watch Tank Bigsby, uh, see how he runs, what he weighs in at, and how he looks in the receiving game. And then the last one I'll leave you, it was a darling for Adam and I last year, and the guy went back to school and just about broke our hearts. But I want to see what Zach Charbonnet does, how he comes out, because I think the guy is an absolute fucking unit. And if he were to come out and run in the 4-4s four at 220 pounds, holy shit, man. <laughs> Holy shit, my Zach Charbonnet love's going to come back, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to this podcast and listen to myself say, moderation, moderation, moderation. But there's a scenario for me to get way over my skis on Zach Charbonnet. How about you, Adam? Any any guys that stand out to you that you'll be paying attention to this week? I mean, I, I mentioned a bunch of them. Um, the tight end position as a whole, uh, Musgrave, Kraft, Laporta, Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid, um, Raz score, especially for these guys, which I think I have a chance to get a lot of them in the third, fourth round. Now, to your point, to Mike's point, if the Raz score is good on some of them, like we'll we'll be able to see mock draft and you know some of the ADP trend differently, and then we can make adjustments. But guess what? That also means people are going to fall down the board. So right. if it's not the tight end position, there there's some guys Mike didn't mention now. Everyone he mentioned, I'm in. Like I ha- let me tell you, I have so many 23 picks. There's probably not a 23 player that I'm not like closely watching and like being super excited for. When um, you own the whole first round in the league, yeah, man, I gotta. To. Yeah, I'm almost like Ray at this point. Like I gotta watch film. Like I have to be, you know, you'd be into it. Anybody, yeah, man. yeah, man. Because I may, I'm in a couple leagues where I found out like these fuckers are gonna, are just gonna be such dicks. They're like McNutted. They're like, you know what? Fuck you. You took all these picks. Make them. Go ahead. Make them. All right. Well, then I'm going to study up. I'm going to Ray, myself, we're, we're going to, you know, the combine DD. It's a good thing I'm a part of the DD team this year because Ray's going to help me. But I'll say this. The one name you didn't mention, which I think I already talked about, um, for me especially, is going to be Izzy Abanacanda. Um, th- there's some other running backs. I-, I think this running back class is awesome. I'm also interested to see Tajay Spears at the uh, the combine. But Izzy, Izzy for me, I think is really interesting because like nobody really knows the name. He came out of nowhere. Right. He checks a lot of the like size speed score stuff. And he is still an early declare and had a great junior year. And what do we know about the running back position? If the size and speed are there and he has requisite draft capital and he gets an opportunity, like we've already seen this year, right? Damian Pierce. Tyler Algier, they, 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 they didn't check like crazy boxes, but they had opportunity. And what happened? Dynasty value went crazy. So uh, he, he's one in particular for me that I'm I'm intrigued by. I think there's a chance we're talking about, you know, 
on this 40 podcast in a month from now and I don't mention the name again and we're, you know, not all that right. excited. But if he does kill it, I'll be right back here in a month telling you that I was I was watching and I'm ready to take him and I'm going to, you know, talk up these 23 picks so I can trade him. Even though Mike won't buy, I'm hoping someone else will. So I, I hope overall, um, you know, th- this kind of gave you a thought process and some tactics and strategy on what we're looking for, what to count as something you're you're including in your process from the combine. Like Mike said, in moderation. Don't allow like don't don't be somebody that really goes up and down the board with a few metrics in the combine, you know, all the value flux that's going to happen over the next 3 to 4 week uh 3 to 4 months because maybe you win but you could also lose really bad just based on the noise. So, um keep it in moderation. Keep all this at the forefront. And just remember, when your league mates are playing chess, play 40 chess. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you back here same time, same place next week. Enjoy the combine, everybody. Peace. We're out of this thing. Peace. Peace.